Welcome to the Ryan Nile Show. So back in January, I let you know that I was working on a mini series of conversations I had during lockdown over Zoom that I wanted to share. And I'll be honest, the whole having conversations over Zoom, I'm not a huge fan of. Early listeners of the show will know that I really love doing in-person interviews, really connecting with my guest in person and having a deep human connection. This is a bit more challenging over Zoom while we're all in lockdown. But nevertheless, I did want to share these four special episodes. And I'll tell you why it's taken me this long to share them. I'm a person that needs a big why. As I said in my intro, I want this podcast to be a real outlet for things I'm really excited to share. And it just so happens that a very good friend of mine and an inspiration and someone who I have the privilege of producing, Alex Holmes, he has a book coming out on April 1st called Time to Talk. How men Welcome think about love, belonging Alex and Holmes, connection. your host. And this is where I speak to life seekers, healers and leaders in their fields to break down the stigmas of mental health, heal and become emotionally courageous by having one compassionate conversation at a time. This week, it's time to talk about grief. And if you know me, you know that this is a topic that I resonate with a lot. So really, the stars aligned on this because the conversations I had in lockdown are on this topic. The interviews are with three men from the UK. And we delve deep into how men think about belonging, connection, love, and so much more. So I want to dedicate this mini podcast series to Time to Talk, How Men Think About Love, Belonging and Connection, which is out April 1st. You can get the book anywhere you buy a book, Amazon, WH Smith. Check out your local bookstore too. So Alex, thank you for writing this book. Thank you for giving me a big reason why I should share this mini series. And thank you to my guests for being so open on this series. And I, and I really hope that you enjoy what we've got coming up. So this is the Ryan Now Show. I am joined with Isaac Elwa. I'm uh, really happy to have Isaac on the show today to uh, discuss his life, but also to um, discuss a topic that has hit close to home this year in 2020. And um, it's not a pandemic. It's not uh, Black Lives Matter. It's um, dyspraxia and ADHD and the spectrum. All of these new words that I learned at the start of um, 2020. Um, having seen uh, a video of Stormzy, which was doing the rounds on Twitter, not in a positive way, where he was having an interview about his new album. And um, he was passionately explaining his answer and he kind of got his words muddled up. Um, and it's almost like he was starting a thought, but not ending it. And um, when I looked at that, I was like, that's what I, that's what I do. That's, that's what happens to me and so many other people. And Isaac was um, kind enough to, to reach out on Twitter to say, you know, that this is something that um, he's experienced and this is actually what it is. Um, and a few other people were really kind to, to, to share their knowledge as well. And, turns out uh that is one way in which dyspraxia or dyslexia or um adhd all these different um uh, neurological conditions manifest themselves um in our day-to-day lives and it's almost like a hidden uh a hidden challenge that a, a lot of adults have to to deal with or have, have figured workarounds um through their life and it, it wasn't until that moment that i was like wow i even made i made a youtube um like vlog about it um so yeah i want to explore that to today with with isaac but um 
also just you know this show is all about connecting with with people and finding out the stories and uh with the intention of us all connecting um with the moments that that change us so without further ado isaac um how are you i'm good thank you i'm good i'm good i'm good how are you i am good i am um doing a lot better than i than i was um a few months ago <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah man it's been a crazy old year right uh, yeah <laughs> for 20 minutes that's all i got yeah <laughs> that's all i got that's... do you know what that's that's sufficient enough i think <laughs> it's a it's a crazy one but um i mean we connected over Twitter and from, from your feed on Twitter, I've seen you've done some amazing things recently becoming a lawyer. Is that, is that right? Or have I got a... Yeah. Yeah. So I qualified as a solicitor about three weeks ago. Amazing. Congrats, man. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So yeah, it's been quite a long, um, a long journey to kind of get to this point. Mm. And so when I sat and thought about it, I realized it literally was about a 12-year journey. 12 years? Yeah. Wow. What does that feel like now that you've, now that you're qualified? To um, it's a bit weird. Um, I am not, I'm the kind of person that when something happens to me, I kind of just move on very quickly. Mm. Um, people are like, oh my gosh, it's like a massive achievement. But it, um, it's been a bit of a difficult one for me in terms of sort of the way that I've had to like navigate lots of different systems and mm. I guess we'll get onto it properly in a bit but um for a lot of people they're like super happy and they're really overjoyed but for me it's really quite it just hasn't been pleasant at all so it's really hard to sit and be like oh I'm super happy and you know mm. I got my whole life ahead of me and I'm like you know super excited some people are like that but for me I'm just very I'm very much like um hmm Hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> no, like, do you know what i get that more enjoyable in terms of yeah. obviously there's difficulties in any journey people go through but they're not the kind of they're not things that sort of challenge you it's not that kind of thing of oh i had to go through this and i had to go through that and all these ups and downs and it challenged me but i became a better person at the end of it it's kind of more there were a lot of difficulties i went through that were just mm-hmm. really unpleasant to go through and very unnecessary that right. if, if I was a different kind of individual, I looked different, people just would not have behaved in that way. And so therefore it's not the same kind of thing of, oh, I had to work with a difficult supervisor or I had to right. kind of work really hard on an exam. It's people literally trying to stop me in my path in lots of different ways mm. because they want you to fail. Um, right, right. And it's very, it's very difficult to sort of get to the end of something and be like really happy, especially in the, the kind of context of what's happening with like the virus and... Um, the, the impact of all of that is just really quite, it, it leaves you a lot of, I guess, ugly feeling a little bit. It's all a bit unsettling at the same time mm. as well. Mm. So it's all kind of mixed together, I guess. Yeah. No, I completely understand that. Um, you know, 12 years is one, it's a long time. And two, if it's been really difficult along the way, or made even more difficult, it's almost like running a marathon, which is hard enough for anyone, but, you being held back and people jumping in the way and then mm. you know being injured halfway like by the time you make it over the finish line y- you know you can be happy to be there but it's almost like being really exhausted and frustrated at the same time um but if i mean if you're happy to can you can you explain what 
some things that made it so so difficult because you you know you said it was made almost intentionally difficult yeah um from a schooling perspective um i remember um having like quite high ambitions and people capping them which is not mm. rare for black children in the uk but what was a really annoying was people always doubting what i wanted to do in lots of different ways so you know, so for example like you would say how would that how how did they cap your ambition like what what kind of things would they say so i was about 16 17 and I've uh, gone through my AS levels um, and I was looking at universities to apply to and I was like oh I want to well you have to pick one of the two Oxford or Cambridge and I was like oh one of these are the ones I was contemplating doing I was studying at and then immediately like it's really funny if I'd said that I was going to so I'm from Bradford in West Yorkshire mm-hmm. so if I said I was going to sort of I don't want to say something like Leeds Mezzanine, but I was just going to go and do business studies. I don't think anybody would have necessarily challenged me. Right. But then when I set a particular sort of standard that people mm. knew was of something of a particular standard, all of a sudden then it was really unacceptable. You can't do this and you can't do that. And, you know, are you sure it's for you? And it's, you know, um, um, where, where uh, do, do, do black like... people go there? Or, or right. um, are you sure that you can do that? It was just really strange. And I, what I realised as well is that a lot of... T- young people, especially teenagers, were often quite um, quite fearless in your ambitions. You don't have any barrier in your mind necessarily. And then you start to see all of the doubts that adults kind of put on you. And you're like, you've got a lot of baggage and you need to go work that out because that's got nothing to do with me. But they right. they put that onto you. And then um, mm. it's actually quite hard to kind of get around. And people, I don't think, realise when they pile all of that onto you, when you need guidance and doing things or going through and navigating a particular path, that's just really unhelpful. And it's also quite unnecessary at the same time mm, no definitely um and were they like loved ones or were they like just authority figures in education or um a, a combo of lots of different people combo of lots and lots and lots of different people um i think that i think from i guess like a family perspective there is that i think of a generation or a couple if you could argue that of people who may have wanted to do particular things, but the barriers were were even more insurmountable. So mm. when you're trying to do this, it's not a case of almost who do you think you are, but it's a case of someone, I guess, in a way, trying to protect you from yes. doing certain things yeah. um, because they don't want you necessarily to be harmed, but they don't mm. realise that rather than trying to help you navigate that process, they're literally stopping you from advancing through a journey yes. um, in kind of any shape or form. And then in an educational setting, there were people who just didn't believe that you could do certain things or their 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 mentalities or their ambitions themselves were limited um and i think it happens more depending on where if you're from particular sort of places or areas so for me a lot of people would stay local a lot of people mm. don't tend to go really far out it's not like if you're from a i guess like a larger city some people may go global they might do this and may do that sure it was very much like people couldn't really see outside of the region so if i said i was going to Spain, it's like I was a globetrotter. And I'm like, no, right, I'm just right. going to Spain. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, I was I had that sort of mentality, but I was very much a bit of an anomaly in that, um, in that sense. So it was quite tricky. Mm, no, definitely. Um, so, yeah, so what I was going to pick up on is the, 
protection and that this happens a lot from well-meaning adults that are looking out for someone younger having probably been ambitious themselves and gone through the pain of getting to that ambition and i'm not speaking for everyone but um, this has happened and they're like mm, to save you from all this pain you know maybe you should just do this 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 more simple route but like you said it's not really helpful and it's actually it's like as a young ambitious person you're going to go and do that anyway and probably you're going to do it in spite of of what they've said and actually you just created a a barrier where there didn't need to be where all i needed was mm. the uh the 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 toolkit to to be able to to manage what is upcoming because you know as you said from you know if you're coming from uh the demographics uh that that we're from um there is a certain limiting mindset that is quite prevalent you know uh, a survival mindset which is very much you know just do the safe thing you know and um that doesn't necessarily help especially when you've got like you said at when you're like 16 17 you've got that i can take on the world energy I can take on the world and I will take on the world energy. Yeah. Um, encouragement and signposting really helps. Um, but stop signs <laughs> or turn U-turns don't necessarily help too much. Um, you know, and yeah, like it's taken, tw- you know, 12 years from then. Uh, is, is that what you're saying? From from then or even? Yeah, is it from that when, 16, so yeah. Yeah. Quite wow. wow. Yeah. So it's, it's a long, that's a long journey. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible what you've, you know, to be able to go through it and, um, to achieve that in spite of all of the obstacles is, is amazing. Um, so, I mean, obviously that's one obstacle, like the, the barriers that people put up or family and friends or well-meaning people put up. But, um, in terms of, uh, education itself um, and the you know the condition that we spoke of um, this uh, earlier on how did you come to know of it and that, when did it first when did you first experience it and when did you realize what that was so at school I was quite academic so I think I think this is a bit of a problem that I think if you're academic, people don't ever assume that you need support in any way. Mm. They just think you're fine. It's only if, I guess, sort of like your life is falling apart, you can't do this, you can't do that, or you're obviously struggling to do very basic things that people notice as a, as a problem. And even then, sometimes some people don't get the support um, that that they that they need in educational settings because for schools it's expensive and budgets are. Um, are really constrained, so not everyone gets obviously the help that they need. But um, for me, I was only looking back that I realised I had like a lot of um, coping mechanisms. I'd say mm. so. I yeah. would like in order to revise, I would like write everything down, and then I would write it all down again, and then I'd write it all down again. And that's how I revised. I never thought it was bizarre. That's just how I revised. Yeah, um, and then it wasn't until. Obviously, I got to sort of the last year or so that I've been made to realise that actually a lot of people don't necessarily revise in that way. Um, 
and that for me that was bog standard like i used to have copious amounts of notes i could never make a few notes i would have to make loads or loads of notes on everything mm. um all the time there was no other way i would learn and i just i just learned to do that i used to be able to write really quickly it wasn't necessarily an issue for me and now if you sit and think about it some exams were actually really hard um like I got through them and for quite a lot of them, I did well in them. But then I, now I realised that actually if I had more time, I'd have done even better because mm-hmm. I didn't need to rush myself, rush all the way through. Um, it was a coping mechanism. Yeah. So it wasn't until I got I got to sort of like, I guess the world of work and um, started looking at, well, it's not, if I, it wasn't, I didn't look at anything. It was other people looking at my ways of operating and my ways of work oh wow okay and then it was only and i personally feel it's because i thought people were trying to be almost as if in in a in a crit- critical ways and you need to stop doing this and you need to do something another way oh Rather okay than, oh i've detected this is a particular reason you do this that's how it felt to me anyway um mm. and so the only reason that i thought oh i actually might have um dyspraxia was because i had to give a justification as to why i behave in a particular way right and then it was only going through like the online programmings and testings and things like that that i sat and thought actually yeah i might actually have dyspraxia but it's difficult because with dyslexia i think there's more testing at least online testing you can kind of do yourself to mm, see if this you is might the thing, yeah but with dyspraxia it's actually quite tricky because it, it may be that but it might not be that you have to obviously go through the very specific testing itself this is the thing and, cost to it. right um, and this is what i've learned that it's it's not it's not simple to to be a, to be diagnosed this it's like it's almost like self-diagnosis and doing a lot of research and seeing like what um like how different parts resonate with your experience mm. but what i've what i've come to learn is um it certainly is a, a spectrum like it's all overlapping it's almost like um you have all these different conditions in circles and the circles are sitting on top of each other. So it's, it's like you're, you're having a bit of each. So it's, it's hard to know, is this dyslexia? Is this, is this ADHD? You know, and there's so much more research and stuff uh, about that in in recent years um, compared to, um, you know, when you're at school or when, when, when I was at school and um, yeah, for those reasons, it just makes it really difficult to, to actually, pinpoint what it is um but what made you, uh, you uh, i know you kind of described a situation at, at work where it was almost like being you were being criticized for a way you were approaching uh, uh was it a problem or was it a just in a general just, sense but law firms are like that so um especially in a training kind of sense you're critiqued all the time anyway you're critiqued so it's 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 regular, um, right? So is this in a solicitor's like that kind of environment? Yeah, it's it's not right. it's not abnormal. Um, a lot of people have um, how to describe it. It's like that when you're, I guess, like a praise or your 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 work is reviewed and things like that. You're kind of told or taught that there's a way of doing things, and this mm-hmm. is how you learn. Right. So for a lot of people that's how you go about doing that. Sometimes there's nothing wrong necessarily with that yeah. for some things. Um, but if this is just how you work and you haven't done anything odd in mm. your mind, you don't see that there's something wrong necessarily. Right. So that's, that's how I, that kind of comes about in that setting. Mm. Mm. And 
the way you were approaching things um, in that situation, did it end up being a situation that was a problem? Because what I find is, for me, my philosophy is, you know, if it gets to the desired result, doesn't really i mean within reason it doesn't really matter how you get to the desired result within like a you know if you're in work or something like that if if my way is to do abc and someone else's way is to do bca but it gets to the same result why does it matter but it it, did your method ever ever uh, get to a point where it was a problem or was it something where it was just someone's like no this is this is the way we have to do it and you have to do it this way Hmm. It didn't necessarily kind of come about like that. Mm. Uh, firms are very often people sometimes will not tell you something until they want to. I guess problematize something, mm. so they won't necessarily be like, oh, I noticed you did this yesterday. Was a particular reason why. It's like, it will get to a point where it's, sometimes it comes to like a, a, a especially in your training, like a, a mid to see or an in-seat review. And then all of a sudden you'll be like, boom. So this is the evidence. They literally will act like lawyers. Wow. Um, okay. So you won't <laughs> build the case. That you, <laughs> yeah, you won't yeah, realise yeah. that you've done something wrong. People will just kind of observe sort of your behavior. So it's difficult to tell whether you've done something wrong or they might ask. It, it depends. And I think, I think in particular as well, I think firms are quite, um, they're not great at handling neurodiversity in general. They're not mm. great at handling. And people, I think definitely at one point, people would act as if, if you were not this pristine, perfect person who could handle stress at every opportunity, at any time, and you'd never, nothing would ever go wrong with you, then you're fine. If you weren't that kind of person, then it's not for you, rather than no one, none of those people really ever exist. They're just putting on a front, and they may pretend that they can do things perfectly, or, that, yeah. that, you know, that they, they, they act like they can handle the stress, but, you know, um, at least from the context of this year, um, you know, I think it's half of junior lawyers cannot cope with the stress of working in the context of this year. And then in general, stress is the highest um, ranked issue, I believe, for junior lawyers and lawyers like overall. So it's wow. people are putting on a very good front, but in mm. reality, they're absolutely panicking and they're not working right. So right. It's, I think sometimes it's only if something is noticeable to someone else, but it's not necessarily, obviously, through you appear panicked or stressed, but it might just be, you know, someone asks you to do something, you seem a tad flustered. Um, it's things like that, whereas they expect you to be calm, cool, and collected, which to me, if you're firing all of information from me, I'll be like, whoa. And that's yeah. often what it was, but I think they, you know, especially mm. if you do have a condition like dyslexia or dyspraxia, when you get loads of new information fired at you, it can actually be incredibly difficult to yes um, to sort of absorb all of that information bearing in mind especially if you don't know what's going on if you knew something was going on beforehand or you've been around something that's fine in, in a particular team as an example but if you haven't then it will become even more apparent it'd be almost as if you can't handle things but it's not that you can't handle it it's more that you need like for me i like to be given information that i can read over in advance yes um i don't like to be kind of bombard with lots of information and can you get this back to be a five o'clock cool cheers bye i'm like whoa wait what like mm. it's, it's actually quite a lot of information to fire at someone and i think <laughs> what they forget as well is the way that someone who maybe knew i works 
in the world of work is actually ideal for everyone else. So if you give someone, obviously not everyone can always do things like that, but if you give someone enough time and say, this is what, this is the files and things in, you know, sit at home and read over it, that would be fine. I'll just sit and have dinner and read over something. It's fine. Yeah. yeah. Whereas if instead of you not, if instead of you giving me that time to do that, then you'll try to fire it all off to me and say, you've got an hour and a half to get this done. Um, and obviously sometimes that will happen, but in the majority of cases in terms of experience, I've had like, there's, it's very rare, not very rare, but it depends on the team and, and work you do. But in the main, like a lot of the routine work you do, you can read around in advance. Right. Um, or you don't, if you're someone's giving you instructions, like you need to have them understand the background so that they can understand what they're doing and sometimes that mm. doesn't happen Context. so I might get kind of I may get uh, like um, like a bit of background or I might get like a phone call or some vote explaining that but then the difficulty I have is someone wants me to amend a document on the phone with the person and I'm very much like not understanding which of the seven documents I need to amend. And then right. this one means this and this one means that. That's actually really mentally confusing for me. And I'm just of like, course. no, this does not work yeah, in yeah. any way, especially if that person understands what's going on. But I don't understand what's going on. And not necessarily because I haven't read into something, but more because they know how they've structured a particular either a document or several sets of documents. It's like there's a lot going on here and it's all really high power and high pressure. And I'm like, I'm mm. not understanding. You may have had a set, set of conversations and this is often the, the difficulty sometimes. If you've had a set of, of conversations with someone and I've not been privy to those conversations, then I'm going to be lost. But they don't mm. believe that you're lost. They're just like, you can't handle whatever's going on. But I'm like, I don't understand what's going on. Yeah, help. just let me understand. That sounds... And I completely understand now what you mean by things being made more difficult than than they needed to be because that's that sounds really stressful, man. Like the the pressure of that. I mean, obviously dealing with people's lives and stuff like that within a law firm, it's like you know it's real things, it's real, it's up, it's pressure on its own. But the methodology or the the environment that's been cultivated almost unnecessarily. It's, it just feels really old school in terms of like, ah, this is a firm and like, it's, you know, we're going to make it really high pressure and, you know, the pressure is going to make diamonds and, uh, you know, it's a meritocracy and, and the, the best, the cream's going to rise to the top and stuff like that. And maybe back in the day that, that maybe produced some good results, but I'm sure it produced a lot of mental health issues and a lot of ricochet effects in people's homes behind closed doors and um, drug abuse, <laughs> you know, all of that. Like, it sounds very similar to um, what I've heard about the finance industry as well. It's very, like, unempathetic, unkind and, well, non-empathetic and, and unkind. And yeah, I can, I can really, I can really hear that from you. And as someone who um you know has the dispraxia and things like that. having all that like i'm trying to put myself in your shoes <laughs> that's um yeah it, it, that's that's exhausting that's exhausting um mm. and um the yeah it, it almost as, as well that's what i wanted to ask the thought of having the thought of being watched the thought of being like monitored or having a, uh, having a, you know, a boss over your shoulder or something like that. 
even though you physically might not have that, but having the thought of that, how does that trigger off um, your uh, experience of uh, being on the spectrum? Um, I noticed that two examples when I didn't feel like that Mm. in sort of training spaces and I felt a lot more comfortable and I didn't make as many errors and I Mm. didn't feel as... I guess at times like unwanted or problematic. Mm. Other times when it was the opposite, everything went wrong that could go wrong. Right. And people would act like you were the problem and it's not like they were the problem. So this it, it would be literally like night and day. So in daytime it would be absolutely fine. And then you'd move teams and then it'd be all, it would just be like a calamity. And the person would act like you were a sort of like a, a, an issue. But it's like the way you're acting around someone is incredibly unpleasant. If I, if, if you were driving and I was watching you like that yes, while you were driving yeah. next, driving a car, you'd nearly crash because you can't concentrate. But right. they don't, they act like that's not the same. It's, it's not the same principle. You know, you need yeah. to be able to cope under this kind of pressure, but that's not, that's not work induced pressure. That's you induced pressure. It's mm. you have created an environment. It's got nothing to do with a client demand or a situation you're in. You've created a situation which has become unpleasant. So you're wondering why you, after you've created a situation which is unpleasant, why someone doesn't seem particularly comfortable in that environment or they're not thriving in that environment. Mm. Of course, you've created a really hostile environment. So no one's right. going to thrive in it. Um, and so I definitely noticed a, a huge difference between sort of uh, one side of things and then the other side of things. Um, and then I think as well that just not realizing that not only obviously I guess in general treating people in that way is obviously not just kind, but then also actually verges on illegal behavior. Not realizing yeah. that you know because this is the thing people don't acknowledge that if you treat people who are disabled in that manner, mm. it's the equivalent of so. And this is the thing because these are more psychological and neurological conditions, they act like they're different from a physical one. It would be the, for me. It would be if you know that someone needs time to, to digest information or they need sort of assistance in terms of the way that they take notes for example they might want to mm. type now or um you know that say if someone is obviously like dyslexic and or dyspraxic that if they if they're, they're they're writing out something you know oh i noticed there was a small spelling error well you know there's yeah. nothing wrong pointing out that sort of that that particular error just saying well just make sure you catch that that's one thing because you know that they've got a condition that will mean that those things are going to happen to them all the time right for me it's very much the equivalent of sort of 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 someone who may have a physical disability and they they struggle to say walk upstairs and they take a lift and say there's one time that there's no lift so they have no choice but to say for example take some stairs Hmm. and then wondering why the person takes the stairs and when they take them they're a bit slower than other people or they walk in a particular manner Exactly. If you pointed that out to someone every day, that would be illegal behaviour because it's wrong. Mm. But it, but it doesn't seem that from from their perspective, it's like oh, I was just doing what I was doing. I was doing my job, and I'm like, actually no, you were behaving in quite a, a callous manner. You know, you don't need to do that as a right. way of engaging people. But this is the problem. People mm. in general in society have absolutely no way or understanding of engaging with disabled people. And then right. on top of that, what they will do 
is it'll make out that the person is the problem and not them needing to admit or just their behaviour. So it becomes a case that the system works fine because you don't fully fit into the system and you don't work in the way that I expect you to work within the system, then it must be you that's the problem rather than the system being outdated. Mm, um, exactly. And that's how it works. Wow. Wow. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm really glad you brought up those examples of when it doesn't exist in a, you know, in the training environment. And funny enough, when you said the car example, I was thinking of um, being in a car because um, when it's happened to me, uh, uh, what, was, what was I trying to say? So if I'm driving and I'm constantly thinking of, oh, this this uh this this camera is trying to catch me out or this double yellow line is trying to catch like having that narrative of um being watched and being like managed or over managed causes me to make mistakes that i wouldn't usually because i'm not just in the flow and just doing what i usually do and um yeah i just i just thought when you when you said the you know someone looking at you and asking you to concentrate on driving and focus on driving like this is a normal thing i just thought that was very um very poignant because um yeah we both thought of the same <laughs> the same kind of thing <laughs> man it's um i mean obviously a lot needs to to change and hopefully you know conversations like this help help that help um you know people have the 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 conversations at work because this is i mean at work and school because these are where it probably manifests most and social situations as well like we discussed earlier yeah. um <laughs> but um but particularly in work and um and school which affect your day-to-day -day life and your 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 trajectory of life as well um so much needs to to change and these conditions are invisible and you know there just needs to be more more empathy or more not like, what needs to happen is it does the empathy and the awareness come from just um, knowledge about, or do do you think that people do know about these things, but they're actively trying to kind of weed out people that experience these things because at the moment it's not illegal, for example? I think there's a bit of both. I think as we've seen a lot with discussions this year, I think there are, I think people, some people are generally sometimes unaware of things, but I think mm. there was also a significant contingent. And I didn't want to say a minority. There's a significant contingent of people who do things on purpose. Yes. They do things on purpose and they pretend that they're not doing it on purpose. And then they, when they get caught out, they pretend that you're the problem. And mm. they do that because they know that there's a whole system that will back their way of thinking because everyone else thinks like them. Mm. So it's you're the problem. Um, mm. You know, it's like in this day and age, if you were speaking about something that happened to you, say you were a woman at work and you were describing the circumstances that happened to you, people would believe you because a lot of women have discussed their issues and people are way more understanding of seeing chauvinism, sexism, misogyny right. in the workplace and in general. But we're in 2020 now. If you were in 1970 and you were describing those circumstances that happened to you in the same workplace, a lot of people, even some people who go through the same issues would believe that they were justified because that's what happens to people like us and it should just happen to you because it's fine. So that's, mm. I think, what where we're kind of at the same kind of place, especially when we're uh, discussing things related to disabilities, in particular in the UK. And I know in the US there are a few 
the sort of more thing, the more things that are kind of coming out of things, like at least through social media, and we're, we're seeing. But I think yeah. in the UK, I think culturally, I think there's still a bit of an issue and a long way to go in understanding that. Um, I think there is also obviously an issue of people just not understanding. Um, and I put myself in that, like my, I have, I have family members as well who have dyslexia. And when I was younger, because I was quite academic, uh, and I obviously got that read a lot, it didn't really negatively impact me in, in the same way. Yes. I was actually quite cruel um, at times myself. So I would be very much like, oh my gosh, I don't know, I can't understand why you can't remember. Like, how can you not remember? Mm. But now I'm thinking the same thing to myself. That was actually really cruel because some people just cannot genuinely, they, they, they cannot make the connections in their brain from a short term perspective just weren't working. Whereas for me, it was, it was the opposite. Right. Um, I, and I think it's probably for me as well because they were, I guess, flexed and exercised from a very, very, very young age. Um, I was like that, so it was fine. But I guess I'm an example of someone who could obviously be very academic, could, especially as a child and as a teen, could remember like a lot of things. It was fine, but I guess at the same time, I had a coping mechanism where I would write a lot of things down. So I was mm. in class, I would make the best, my textbooks, I could, you could hand them to a child now and I used to be really good at Spanish. They could learn Spanish easily through my textbook because I used right. to make impeccable notes. Mm. But on one hand, I made them because obviously I liked what I was doing, but I also made them in such a way. I didn't even realise I was doing it, but like when I was being assessed, the assessor was saying, you probably, as children, children learn things. If they need to remember certain things, mm. they will always make notes or they'll do certain things that work for them. You just did them without realising you had coping mechanisms and didn't realise what coping mechanisms, you just thought it was you. Mm. So I went ahead and, and uh, that's how I behaved, you know, that's how I engaged with myself and my life. It was normal for me, but I didn't acknowledge that some people couldn't do that because you need short-term memory to be able to sort of do that. And if yes. things are on, on a sliding scale, so... I might be on one end of the side of the scale, but then I've got all the family members who are on the other side of the scale. So if you're mm. in a classroom and something is moving, like I was saying earlier, um, and we were speaking, you know, how um, we were speaking offline and we were just saying how when someone says something to you, you can't remember the second part of what they said. Yeah. That was happening. That was happening to sort of family members of mine in a classroom setting. So someone has just written something down. And then I started to realize actually when I went to university, the same thing happened to me. So mm. as I would write something down, the next thing would move. And then the next thing I know, the it's almost like the, you know, it's like the wheels of the bus are going round and round and I cannot remember. And next mm. thing I know, you know, I've gone past three streets. And then next thing I know, oh my gosh, I've, gone, I've missed my stop. And next thing I know, I'm in the middle of nowhere. And that's yes. exactly what happens in an educational process. But I wasn't taking that into account. And I think a lot of people are like that. I don't think we acknowledge from a society's perspective how cruel we are to people with different conditions, different abilities. Mm. Um, it's so in, right, in, man. In, in that way, we're incredibly cruel. Incredibly yeah. cruel. And I, I see all the time through... Um, different types of process that people think you need to do a particular thing you need to be a particular way you need to do this you need to be that well why is it you expect people to be these kinds of people mm. why is it that you're not opening up the definition of what you can be or how you can operate for example i worked around someone who uh he was a lawyer and he was blind so you know if 15 years ago would you believe that someone could be a lawyer and be blind Mm. you'd be like yeah. i can't really compute how it works 
Right, exactly. How the only thing is he just needed like documents. exactly. Yeah. He just need more assistance with doing things, right. but it doesn't necessarily right. mean that you can't be alone because you're blind. Right. Um, if you if you say think about it, you have someone um, who is um, severely sight impaired, someone that's Stevie Wonder, and create some of the most incredible music on earth. Exactly. But he's sight impaired. You wonder, like he 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 struggles to see. He is sight impaired, mm. like seriously sight impaired. But he was able to do that, as in literally just you know sit down, write, and compose whole bodies of work by himself. Mm. So people can do things. They just need to be given the the tools to be able to do that, and whatever they have in them to be brought out. Absolutely, absolutely. I think you st- you touched on such an amazing point, especially with regards to childhood and how we. Um, you know, we can be unintentionally cruel because we, or just generally, everyone's taught that you have to think a certain way, you have to learn a certain way, you have to do a certain way, you have to be a certain way. Like this is a one size fit all approach to everything, and actually, it's, it doesn't work like that. And it's it's a, a, a for lack of a better term, is a spectrum of ways of thinking and doing an approach like perspectives everything and i think the more we can cultivate that and the more we can um tell younger people um i'm talking like really young like it sounded like i mean i've got the vision of maybe when you was like five or six years old um you know thinking about um like why can't you remember that or things like that and you know as kids you do just say things you know but if at that age we can start to have the concept of, well, maybe that that person's my brain works this way, and it, that your your brain works this way, and we can work together, and actually it can be really creative and fun for all of our different uh, minds to come together to um, to look at the world in in different ways, you know. And yeah, and I think uh, hope. I mean, my hope is over time that can create a more empathetic um or empathic <laughs> um society because yeah man it causes a lot of issues and like you said like we, people can be intentionally cruel but um probably more often than not unintentionally cruel um and when you are on the receiving end of cruelty it really beds in and that's where the trauma comes in and that's where you know nerves come from and that's when it becomes a condition that's when it gets hardwired and you think of coping mechanisms and things like that um but yeah on on coping mechanisms i'm really intrigued about this because i didn't realize i had coping mechanisms until this year and it all made sense. I was like, oh, okay. All right. That's why I do this. That's why I do that. And something we said offline, and which you which you alluded to, was when you're in a social situation, um, and it happens to me on a podcast all the time, by the way. So a guest will say um, say something, and I, I swear to God, I'll know exactly what I'm going to say. I'm like, all right, I'm just waiting for the opportunity. I'm going to respond with this point, this point, this point. The opportunity arises, and it's like, yeah it's gone <laughs> it's all gone but um you you were saying uh about being in a conversation with with someone and they've you, you know what they've said at the start but you don't necessarily know you don't remember what they said in the middle which could be the key part to respond to you know um one of my coping mechanisms that i've um created w- with something like that is is what you said offline which is to kind of like repeat the word of what they're talking about so let's say i don't know they're saying they're telling a a story about 
walking down the street. But the key point in the story is the dog. So then I'll be like, dog, 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 dog. I'm listening. I'm listening to your story, but dog, dog, dog. So when no, <laughs> when I can talk, then I know what, what we're talking about. Um, <laughs> what kind of coping, coping mechanisms um, have, have surprised you since learning about the condition? And also, actually, I'll just ask you that and then I'll ask you another question after. Um. I guess it's just, uh, I guess probably writing things down a lot to always remember them. I used to do it by hand. And mm. I think it's difficult because obviously we were in a pre-digital age when we were younger. So it wasn't a problem. Everything was by hand. So I had no problem. Right. But the problem came in when everything sort of became a combination of, semi, of, uh, of I guess, like physical writing and digital writing. And then it becomes a problem because your hand becomes physically slower. But obviously, yes. because we're in a digital age, my hand becomes even more slower than other people's will be. Um, or I find it like really hard to kind of keep gripping things, like especially like pens, or using my thumbs. So um, for me, if I'm speaking to people, it's much easier for me to either use things like if I'm if I can. Sometimes I might respond to friends. It depends what I'm doing, like. If I'm out and about and I've got my headphones on, like I have now, and I'm walking out and about on the street, occasionally, like, I might, uh, obviously, physically text a message back. But um, I prefer to have a voice note or voice note mm. someone because I'm just, it's, it's funny, I have a really, and I wonder if you have the similar thing, I have a very particular thing about my thumbs. My thumbs mm. are much slower than my fingers. So if I'm on a computer... Mm. If I'm using Twitter as an example, using Twitter on a desktop is a far more enjoyable interaction than on a phone yes. because I find it really tired. Like my brain can't process things as fast. So oh I, my god! <laughs> so if I'm trying oh to like god. respond to someone, I can do yeah. it like that. It's fine. Yes. But my yeah, thumbs yeah. are just like they're just not. I don't know what is going on with the thumbs, but it's just it's just not it. That happens to me as well. And what I find is that will happen, and I'll get frustrated, and I'll just delete the tweet. I won't respond. Because my thought is already, my thought's gone now. Like, yeah. If I can't, if I can't get it out as fast as I'm thinking it, it's gone. And then I'm like, then I start over analyzing it, or maybe I should rewrite it, or whatever. And then it's just like, ah, oh, savers draft. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing because it's such an instant platform, it makes it worse. Right. So, um, and then now I think about actually when I was younger, uh, a, a big mechanism I used to have, and this is probably why I'm. Um, as good as I am at writing is because I would always write how I felt I would find it really difficult to put things in words if I was speaking them so I didn't like mm. speaking to people right. and I never really thought much about why but now it makes perfect sense I didn't like speaking to people I think I just wasn't confident with speaking in person I was kind of panic and the same thing I would happen at work so someone would ask me something and I would I would prefer to compose a response to something over email almost yeah. all the time whereas if they do it in person I would find it really difficult. I would just have to accept whatever someone said or whatever they did because I couldn't think of anything else to say. Wow, you well, you just gave me goosebumps because you just reminded me so much of what I did growing up as well. It's you know it's it's quite um fascinating to kind of stand here and like realise how far you've come as well and how much of your life was actually not how it is now. Like for so for example, my I was exactly the same way. Um having those kinds of like I would <laughs> instead of having a conversation with my mum and dad I would write letters for example 
um, because I would, I would, so for something that um, I was afraid of bringing up, like I wasn't brave enough to like just have a conversation about it. I would rather um, write it down because I can go back and edit. Once you've, um, you know, once you say something out loud, you can't go back and press delete. You can't backspace. Do you know That's what I mean? That's really so, interesting. Yeah. That's actually super interesting. Like, yeah. physically, like, writing or typing out loud. That's really interesting. And it makes yeah. a lot of sense. I, like, I used to not, like, um, I used to really dislike people interrogating me, like, on the spot. Yes. Still to this day, like, it really annoys me. I'm like, if you have something to say to me, like, <laughs> it doesn't work. It also really doesn't work in the context of relationships where someone would be like, no, not speaking. And I was just like, there's mm. a reason for it. <laughs> there's a reason for it. And I'm like, if you have something to say to me, put it in words. And someone would be like, what do you mean put it in words? I'm just like, just do it. Like, just yeah. put it in words. Like, I don't like... Yeah, so, like, supposedly someone had, like... It's really funny. I used to be the bit of the opposite when I was younger. I used mm. to sort of write a lot, but now someone, especially if it's obviously physical texting, yes. if someone might say something to me, um, they might say type out a lot, but then in comparison, like I will think a lot, but the response I will give is like really short, but not 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 in a rude sense. It just doesn't give yes. a lot more. But it's like I could speak it out, obviously like through a voice note, and that's fine. But then it's weird if I'm. I think it's because of the the distance and the time to compute and think and plan out something mm. whereas if i'm in person i might be i might be quite quiet but it's not yes. necessarily that i'm quiet it's more like the thought process of going through and giving all that information is just long yeah 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 <laughs> so i completely long. relate i completely it's relate. weird because i have really changed i used to very much sort of well i was gonna say I used to be, that's a lie i was actually quite i've always quite quiet people oh my gosh you're like really quiet and i think now because i have something to go off it's fine mm. um it's 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 i think as well that I think no, I probably wouldn't be silent if I was next year. I probably wouldn't. But I think if I do, if I wonder how the person might judge me, then I might yes. operate differently. Yeah. And I think as well, like it's probably embedded in my mind, and I don't realize it's embedded in my mind. Um, yeah. So yeah, I would probably like I guess I voice note people or physically t- I like typing things out with my fingers. Um, but then with my thumbs, like it's just very it's very sluggish, and I'm just like oh, I just. Mm. No, unless I'm really engaged in the conversation with someone. Exactly. I completely relate. I completely relate. Even like, do you know when it manifests um, with me? Birthday cards, for example. Like, because we don't write often as much as we used to, like in school and things like that. Obviously, we live in a digital world now, so we type way more. And it's almost like I can type really fast. So as I'm thinking it, I can get it out. But my hand can't physically move as fast as my brain. So what what really catches me out is when I'm, because I write, I mean, the way I learned to write was in cursive, so like joined up. Um, but when I'm writing like the shape of an N, uh, that the same shape of an N will look like an I or the end of a W. And I, so anytime I, I'm doing that shape, it just ends up being, I don't know, and I'll have to like, try and style it out look back at him but yeah that's not the word that you was trying to write <laughs> just put a dot here let's make it look like something <laughs> do you know what i mean so um, if you're writing your surname did you always have difficulty with your surname not with my surname not with something that i've had to repeat but if if i'm like writing oh. off the top of my off the off the top of my my mind and i'm just writing things out i know exactly what i want to do but my hand won't correlate with that um but if I'm typing, it's completely 
completely fine. And plus, it has the, the the added benefit of being able to backspace. You know. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, funny, it's funny when you say because when I was younger, I used to get in trouble with that at school, and it's it's only now I now I think I kind of get why I used to be really really irritated by it. People used to say that if I if I used to write a particular letter, it used to look like another one. Mm. I think of like. I think maybe my G's look like S's a bit because I, I didn't yeah. sometimes fully connect That's, them. Yes, yes. Oh, yeah, mine's, like, mine does, does the same. Um, we probably have the same letters. It's, it's probably the same yeah. letters, but like that's just an example of it. Or how... Like if I'm writing a Y, for example, that would... Uh, I would do a Y and my brain and body would think I'm doing a J. So I'll do a Y and I'll put a dot on top. Yeah, I've done that before. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? And it's like... Why did you do that? Yeah, I've <laughs> you don't know how to before. write a what? Yeah, it's like yeah, you used to be like dun, dun, dun. yes, <laughs> like, at the yes. Like, the the beginning. <laughs> and I'd be like, and then after like mm, in the exam, like <laughs> so we didn't go to the yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like, just like at the top. Or like I'd go over letters and look at them, and then I'd have to like my and I think I learned this from my dad because my dad has kind of like curly eyes or curly mm. J's, but I always used to have like my eyes and then my eyes my capital eyes would look like J's because I used to try and copy his handwriting. The only right. thing is his his really his is fine. It looks fine. Makeup eyes when I tried to do it, it looked like a J and I was just like, oh now I'm gonna have to right. like style it. And it would just yeah, look yeah. a mess. Like and I used to if you look at my books, like, sometimes they most of it would be fine, but at the beginning, it's normally never really at the end of the word, it's nothing often at the beginning. Like you'd see various in various points as really, it's either and I used to be really good at it, so they'd be quite subtle. Or they'd be like really obvious. Um, and I used to love fountain pens, so you had to be really mm. careful. And this is probably yeah, I like, yeah. be, like really careful with them. Yes. So yes. they'd be like a little like Eddie at the beginning of it. So it was like a a J or an I. And it looked like a bit of a J, but I'd have to kind of like style it a little. So there would always be like various. You can just you could look at my old books and see the various different mini. Mi- they're very minor. I was very good mm. at hiding them, but like the minor edits that you have. So. Um, yeah, I used to have that like all the time, but it's it's difficult in in I guess in in a modern. I think as well like because a lot of people just do not understand that. Um, they don't. They just think someone is, especially in, in the context of like, working in a firm, like they they will um, like revert to sort of someone is really incompetent. That is the the mindset that they will jump to right. is that you're incompetent, mm. not that your brain processes things differently. I think there's a yes. lot of people as well who have probably been really undiagnosed with things. So mm. I often notice it through sort of spelling where, especially especially in, because we're, because we're in an age now where tech speak is not as common. I mean, mm. not that it's not as common. You don't need to do it anymore. So when someone does it in a, in, in a way where they, they're, they're trying to use sort of as few characters as possible, it really makes me wonder if somehow they don't know necessarily the full spelling of a word right. because that because you don't need to spell words like that so sometimes mm. i wonder i'm like there's a reason someone's doing that because you're effectively having to override the mm. um the autocorrect function especially yes. like, at one point you had to override it because it was really annoying with autocorrect things in a really really like yes. chaotic manner but now it's yeah. not chaotic it's really ordered mm. so you're having to override it to put this in and i'm like what I really sometimes wonder why people do that, and it makes me wonder in some way. Sometimes there's some people, a lot, there's probably a significant amount of people that are just undiagnosed in lots of different ways. 100%, um, man. In lots of different ways, because there's a, there's a reason someone has done that. 
because in a way they've made they've made it hard <laughs> they've made it harder for themselves this is why i can relate they've made it harder for themselves accidentally yeah by doing that but you didn't yes. need to do it in the first place and that's often right. why how you go about doing it like i used to have oh my gosh i used to do i used to come up with like plans and people like but why would you do it in that way why you just do this mm. way no, no 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 but it works it works and they'd yeah. be like but why don't you just do that no 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 but it works and then i would have my way of doing something mm. but it'd be like and this is probably i think from my work perspective where it came from where they'd be like you've got a really odd way of doing things sometimes and sometimes mm. they'd be like there's a much more simpler way of you doing it we did it this way and we don't really mm. get why you did it and sometimes they'd be like you need to stop and i would be like oh mm. i didn't think of i didn't really think much of it and that's that's probably where it comes from of having a process but it's probably forgetting forgetting how to do something. So you start something in a, a way and eventually you get there, but it just takes a lot longer than it would necessarily take. But then yeah. if it's in a high-pressure environment, it makes it worse because mm. sometimes like, you just don't have time to do that. Like You need to speed up in the way yeah. you're doing things. Yeah, yeah. That is incredible, man. And I'm, I'm, I've loved exploring the, the different ways that it manifests itself in, in so many different ways. And um I think you you put it right in that there's this I reckon there's you know if we if we knew what all of these conditions were and new conditions that come up as well because let's not forget like you made such a good point about technology you know autocorrect like the way that we communicate and the way that new features have come up in the way that we communicate has affected the way we say things and the way that we've had to like interrupt ourselves you know you might just want to want to write what the fuck and then comes with what the duck and then <laughs> you have to change that and then <laughs> do you know what i mean like that interrupts your thought like <laughs> but um yeah I, I, yeah there's there's so much that's um d- d- there's so much to learn i think about it and um yeah this has been really illuminating actually and wow i just feel like i love these kinds of conversations because so much of what I've said um, and so much of what you've said has really like, oh, I did that too. Or, and, you know, you said the same thing and it's like, we're, we're not alone. Mm. You know, it's, 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 <laughs> it's brilliant to, to hear that you're not, you know, it's not just a, a solo, a solo battle. Um, but on that, um, what I found actually this year, when, when I, when I learned about these, um, about neurodiversity and the, these, these different, brain uh conditions and i struggle to call it a condition because the condition kind of has a negative connotation but there's so much beautiful sides to to it um in in the way that we approach things and creativity and thinking outside the box and had a had a family gathering pre-covid <laughs> you know when we used to do those things <laughs> <laughs> you were and, like, I didn't break any laws. I didn't. Yeah, break right. Any laws. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> this was way back in you know January, February, um, a couple of years ago. <laughs> um, no, but we, uh, it, each one of us, have experienced um, some sort of neurological condition within my family in different ways. Like one of my my oldest um, sister is a, a teacher, social worker, like really highly qualified in everything. And she didn't realize she had dyslexia until she was doing her master's. And my, one of my other sisters, I've got four sisters. One of my other sisters um, has, uh, what do they call it? It's the um, dyslexia of numbers. Um, I can't remember Dyscalculia. 
yeah. this calculia. And you start to realize that all these different things, um, all these different manifestations of this different way of viewing um, numbers, words, inputs, uh, like the way we listen, the way we the way we talk, the way we uh, interact. There's so many different ways it it happens. And um, it, was just, it was just really fascinating to realize that, oh, wow, it's way more common than than I thought. And even on that Twitter thread, the amount of people that was like, oh my God, I do that too. Um, th- uh, earlier on in the conversation, you were discussing about experiencing that with your family. Have you um, had a similar kind of experience uh, conversation or realization that other members of your family have um similar conditions yeah so i'm pretty sure that patient zero is my grandma <laughs> <laughs> patient zero i love that <laughs> the patient zero is really my grandma all um, oh, right because everyone is connected to my grandma and then right. all, there's various different family members who've got different things on various parts of the spectrum and the one mm. linkage is my grandma so right. <laughs> um but i think it makes sense how from her perspective she probably didn't well not even probably didn't wasn't diagnosed with anything because she, she grew up in dominican like the 30s mm. or 40s so no one it was just a case of oh x y and z is slow like that's that's it like she's just slow or she clumsy like that's that's it mm. but it's not that it's not that sandra clumsy she's got dyspraxia like right or it's not that she's slow she's got dyslexia or yes know, or the reading was never good for her nah she's got dyslexia like that's yeah. just that's that's really what it's like so with her wow. i definitely think um yeah i definitely think she's probably dyslexic and dyspraxic because there have been times where she has this really cute thing now because she's a grandma and a great grandma mm. where she will think of someone's name and it's the wrong person and she will go through everyone's name until she gets to the right person. Yes. So um, yeah. she'll like call someone and she'll oh, and, oh, and, oh, oh, do you know what you're calling? Mm. Like, just yeah, 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 yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> because she's thinking of literally the birth order and how everyone's born. And there's a lot of right. people that's quite funny. Um, as soon as she calls <laughs> someone's name, I would just stand up because I know she meet me. Yeah. <laughs> because often she'd be like with you in person. Right, um, right, right. Or there'd be things like, um, yeah, and she she would sometimes just get like the word wrong. So it's a really cute moment. Um, my parents' wedding video, like, oh, it's so cute, where <laughs> she thanked everyone for coming to to the wedding. And then she gets, I think she obviously had like a little, they, obviously they knew that she doesn't like public speaking and this is why yes. she doesn't like public speaking mm. because she's prone to get things wrong when everyone's watching her because she's under right. pressure. Yes, and spotlight be, effect. Yes, exactly. And there'd be a time where she said something and she got some a bit of it wrong and she was like, oh, and she did that because she knew that what she was wanting to say was wrong in the script mm. that she had planned. It was right, like slightly right. incorrect, but it was fine. But she, 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 oh. and she kind yeah, of continued like, yeah. to do it. And she goes, oh. she was like, thank you. And then I like, sat down and she got over it. But mm. like, yeah, there's other people in the family with like um, autism, epilepsy, dyslexia, that's just practically with me. Mm. Um, yeah. So, and then, I mean, epilepsy is a bit of a specific one, but the rest are all really closely linked. Yes. So I'm not surprised that you would have people with lots of different ones like that. Mm. Um, but I think there's, there is definitely a cultural, uh, I mean, not, not, well, yeah, barrier. Like I know that even now, somewhere in the Caribbean, like the children are not regularly and commonly sort of diagnosed with learning conditions at all, but 100%. you know that they have them. So, mm. That's obviously uh, kind of uh, like made its way through the diaspora as well. I but think even so, yeah. further back, 
where people where pe- no one was diagnosed with anything. Um, you just have yeah. to deal with it. And I mean, we're recording in Black History Month right now, and um, you know, I'm of Caribbean uh, descent. I'm you know, I'm quarter Indian. My mum's half. Mm. My grandmother's Indian from Grenada. My dad's Jamaican. And um, you, you, is your fo- your family's from Dominica, right? Uh, do you think then that with these conditions, like your family sounds quite similar to mine in that that the way that it's manifested? could that be linked to being displaced and literally having to start from scratch from, from nothing with no education base, with no, you know, being torn from a country or torn from countries and then having to start again, you know, could, is that a contributing factor do you think to the way in which our brains are modeled and how we view life? Potentially. I didn't feel like that actually. There may it wouldn't surprise me if how things manifest are difficult to detect because there's so much else going on at the same time. Mm. I think, say, say we're in a completely different world. We, we were having this conversation between and, we're, and we were both, you know, in what is now modern-day Ghana and we, yes. we were just there. We And we were speaking in... We were having the conversation in tree we may not ne- necessarily recognise that someone has a particular condition because the person may be in the environment that they're sort of from. So right. they might, it might not necessarily manifest itself in that way. Yeah, um, because they might not but, have had know, to code, code switch a million times. Yeah, there's just lots your... of changes people have to yeah. go through and adapt. Um, and it's difficult because, you know, a lot of these things are obviously uh, are racialized. So people look people see certain things happen and just think it's a black boy not studying or it's a black boy not doing well. That's right. what they're like. Rather right. than actually, why is it that this child doesn't like reading? It's this child may not like reading or they may not like school. Um, or, you know, they, they when you're reading to them, they don't read back to you. They want you to keep reading for them. There's a reason mm. that that's happening, whereas some yeah, people yeah. not. Some people will be like, oh, whatever, that's just what they're like. And not realising, actually, there's a significant problem with how this child, it, it, it kind of interacts with the education system. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I definitely think there's, there's a factor with that. I think it would be quite interesting to see. I think as well, the displacement definitely shows up within, in, in a UK context, and I wonder what it's like for children in the Caribbean who are sort of in their home because they don't have that sort of feeling of feeling um, out of place. Yes. I definitely think it shows up more. And I, it's interesting because you could have children who do obviously have dyslexia or dyspraxia or various other conditions, and they can move to the Caribbean as sort of children, be in an environment where they're around sort of people who are like them and not such a race culturally and obviously racially and or ethnically. And while they may have any particular condition, it doesn't impact them negatively in the slightest educationally because they're mm. around their peers. Whereas when you were here, it has a real negative impact on the experience. So it's inter- yeah. I'd be really interested to see what happens with the research and development from, from the region and how it impacts children because you're around your peers. So yes, some people may obviously mock you for certain things, but you don't feel that, you know, because you're, you're black or because you're a child of colour in a particular school, that therefore, you know, people make you feel stupid. You won't feel like that. It might just be the case that you struggle with reading or you struggle with this or you struggle with that. But it's not that because of da 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 mm, that's mm. mapped onto you as Definitely. you here. 
So it's interesting. That's such a good point. That is such a good point. And I think it's the, you know, the, the making you feel stupid that really imprints you as a young person. Um, and it's more likely, like you said, more likely to happen in a environment where you're othered, you know, um, and then it will stick with you and it will probably manifest itself more. And as you were saying that, actually, the, the connotation of um, the words like displacement, dyspraxia, dyslexia, like that part of it, maybe it's all, it is all interweaved. Like displacement is a, is a contributing factor to, to those conditions, perhaps. That is definitely something that needs to be researched. And this has been um, a really illuminating conversation man um I've, yeah it's it's really opened up my mind so much on on the links between it all um what are your you know you've had a, a very exhaustive experience in getting to where you to where you currently are um what what are your hopes for the future and is there anything like you're like actively trying to to affect change on within within this um, conversation, within how it's, uh, how it is at, uh, within the workplace, within education. Um, but generally, like, what are your hopes for, for the future? Um, I definitely want to see more neurodiversity accepted and disability accepted. And I think for people to not feel ashamed, I think it's to, to figure out why is it you feel ashamed that you're disabled? Why, what, what in your mind makes you feel that because you're disabled, you're a problem? Mm. You know, when you're looking at ticking a box, do you identify as disabled? You're like, mm, I'm not sure. You should say yes. You shouldn't have a problem with saying yes. And why do you feel that you need to prefer not to say or say no? Mm. Um, to kind of get to the bottom of that and, and to, to try and work with people to kind of have more funds available. Um, to get that testing for for young black people um, and for black children because they need that and there's a lot of people mm. who don't get that and because they don't get that they don't get the support they had like for me I would have sought and I I hope if there was an, in another world I probably may have made that sort of box bridge goal I wanted when I was younger yeah. because I did really well in spite of that but if I had the support and I was sort of I, said, I was diagnosed from a young age as a child because people were watching or they they, they acknowledge that all children go through sort of different types of testing and then someone may acknowledge if they're a tester that all oh, these there are these couple of children who may need to go for further testing because they show signs of dead over there no child goes through that system mm. so we don't have children detected with particular uh, conditions in, in childhood you have to really display them in a really and i don't want to say destructive manner but in in sort of the there's more severe cases but not everybody has the most severe forms of any particular condition. Um, exactly, exactly, yeah. And so that's, it's, a, it's a dangerous way of looking at things like that in life where, you know, you may realise that you've got a significant amount of people in the country or in the population in general who have lots of different conditions. And mm. then you could change society in the way it operates because you acknowledge that disabled people, one, <laughs> exist, and then you can adapt society to assist those disabled people. Society is constructed in a way to help disabled people. Because I mm. remember... I want I want a world where you know the world operates around the most marginalised people rather than the reverse. Because on social media, it's been really helpful where people say that you have no idea how difficult it is navigating buildings 
and the world as a disabled person, especially if you're physically disabled. Yes. So it was only when I looked at the London Underground map, if you were physically disabled, how getting around London is a nightmare. Yeah. And then yes. I was like, actually, that's awful. There are so many stations that just don't have lifts or they just mm. got scrolls and scrolls of stairs. Or, you know, there's a lift to to the sort of like the platform or there's a lift sort of from the, the ticket or hall down, but then you can't get from there to the train. And I'm like, well, yeah. well how on earth can you, if you were in a wheelchair, could you get to the train? Like, mm. why have you built, obviously, I understand why a system was built in that way because it's old, but uh, there comes to a certain point where, you know, when disability legislation was brought in, why is it that all stations from that point onwards were not physically made so that you can go from top to bottom in a wheelchair and there's no problem? Yes. They're still made in a way that doesn't accommodate people. So Absolutely. I want a world where, where we're in there, where, you know, that's what we're taking into account because the world isn't built like that, you know? The world's not built to help people. It's built for not even the majority. It's built for that person who doesn't need any assistance in any shape or form. Wow. And anyone else can go to hell. <laughs> that's really how the world is built. And it's wrong. Wow. It shouldn't be built yeah. like that. That is a beautiful thought, man. Like I've literally got goosebumps down my <laughs> the back of my head because, wow, that I've never I didn't think of it like that. Like the world should be designed around the marginalised, not the privileged few. Wow. Yeah. So even wow. houses, if you sit and think about it in a house, if you were disabled, you can't go and buy any house. The house has to be adapted for you. The house mm. shouldn't need to be adapted for you. You know why? Because they should have, you know. And a part of the house where it should, if especially it has an upstairs and it's not a bungalow, it should have a lift that allows you to go upstairs. And you know what the benefit of that is? No one would then ever need necessarily to have a stair lift put into the house because there's a lift already built in the house. You exactly. wouldn't need, if you're an elderly person, if you stay in the house for the rest of your life and your mobility decreased, you wouldn't need to be based downstairs necessarily. Well, so true. You may want to, but mm. the only reason people have that is because they can't climb the stairs. So if you remove right. the stairs, then there's no problem. But, they, love that. but you don't build houses like that. Yeah, I love that. That's the problem. So mm. that's the way I think we need to reconstruct the world because when you do that, life is better for everybody. But for some reason, Completely. we like to think that if you build the world like that, then you lose out. But in reality, you help other people and you benefit as well because you never know when you may need those services. You, people act like they don't need those services. It will never happen to me. I will never be yeah. able to that situation. It's just not mm. true. There was a time mm. when I... Um, I had tendonitis in my foot and I couldn't, I found it really hard to walk long distances. So I couldn't walk downstairs. I needed, because the, the pressure of, of walking really, really painful. Um, and I had, I, there was another time as well when I, I had like a brace on my knee. So I, walking long distances with crutches was just impossible. So I mm. had to obviously get around using lifts. Um, and I remember that I think I was at time at, I was in London once and I was just like, this is just really impossible. And I was like, how on earth do people do that? Because I had bags with me and I was like, I can't have bags and have the crutches in my hand at the same time. It's either I'm going to have to try and walk or not. Yeah. And obviously I know the staff, but the point is if, if you've got, you know, you, you build a world where you've got like revolving staircases where you don't have to physically walk mm. or you've got, you know, like how, how they have in the airports, they have like the, the kind of like conveyor belts where you don't have to walk. If yes. you built a world like that, including those things as well, you'd make life mm. so much easier for people. 
You do, well, we you do. We don't do that, and that's that's mm. the problem. So then, when Definitely. you get into that situation, you end up screwed. But you shouldn't be screwed because the world should be constructed in a way that accommodates everybody. But it doesn't. should be inclusive. The world, the world should be designed in an inclusive way. And um, you not only don't screw yourself, but you activate so many people that might not be in certain situations. Um, they might you, you might be surprised on what people can can bring you if the world was completely inclusive i think people come from the, the initial thought is of fear you know of uh or, or of uh, of class like oh i'm better so i don't need to worry I, i'm not in that situation so i don't need to worry about that but actually if you activate that those portion of people it could elevate everybody and um yeah i think that's such a beautiful thought man thank thank you for sharing that that's really um i'm holding on to that hope <laughs> i'm holding on to that hope for sure man oh man this has been a really beautiful conversation i really really appreciate that is there um anything you want to share or like if people wanted to get in contact um with you or uh, yeah so i'm on twitter at a child of two worlds with a two in the middle um and the other thing i want to share as well is um that if you do work somewhere and you go through and do different types of testings online, you could do self-testing. If you think you have various different types of um, conditions and things like that, then in order to accommodate you in doing your job better and doing your job full stop, but in particular doing your job better, um, your employer should make reasonable adjustments if they believe you're disabled to help you do that better. And a way of getting to that point can be through testing as well. So you can get tested through your employers. People act like uh -huh. they can't, but you need to ask. So right. that's how I ended up getting tested for both dyslexia and dyspraxia because I asked. Uh, well, 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 I say I asked, but um, someone was kind of prompted. Mm. Um, but then, you know, they asked me, you know, do you want to be tested for both? I said, yes. Um, and it's really funny because people, I think, sometimes are a bit resistant to do that because it costs money. But mm -hmm. at the end of the day, you know, we all do things for various different entities and companies, and we make often, in the majority of circumstances, people make more money for a company than they are paid. So you are owed this, um, yeah, this kind of testing to do the job that you do for this, um, the employer that you have, so you can get tested through an employer, um, and that's how I've noticed a lot of young people especially a lot of young black people I've seen on social media have gotten tested um, right. through their employers. And that's how um, it ended up being for me because they can be expensive. They can be yeah. very expensive for you doing it yourself. So if you are employed by someone um, and you've got, you know, conclusive proof and you come through and give someone a PDF of I've done this test and I've done that test and it says you, you, you know, show strong signs of having this particular condition, then, you know, it, it leads you know at least to follow that you should be tested and then they mm -hmm. can make reasonable adjustments so that you know they also aren't discriminating against you in the world of work because you get assistance yes so you yes. have to learn to advocate for yourself which can be hard when you've been taught in a world that disabled people aren't valuable and don't matter mm -hmm. you have to then put yourself in that position where i might be disabled and oh i'm after yeah oh wait i need to be tested so it's quite tricky so mm -hmm. that's a way that you can go about that um, and to kind of move forward in life. Absolutely, man. That's great advice, and um, I think I think I'll have to do that myself. <laughs> Definitely, do it, do it, do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Isaac, thanks so much. Um, 
for, for jumping on here and for, for being so open and for trusting this platform. I really, really appreciate you, man. And um, yeah, I hope you have a good rest of your week. And yeah, man, thank, um, you. thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> My pleasure, man.